All right, welcome to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton. I don't know what episode it is, don't really care, because today we're going to talk mobile hunting, we're going to talk public land, we're going to talk high-level deer tactics with uh, Jake Bush, who I literally talk to about once to twice a week uh, at, at this point. Jake, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Now, Jake, I, I didn't put this in the notes I sent you earlier, but I got to ask, what is your favorite venison recipe? What's your go-to right now? Ooh, it's got to be uh, probably just backstrap on the grill, honestly. Pretty simple. Oh, okay. So so I did a meatloaf today uh, as some of my like food for the week or whatever. And I got to ask, meatloaf with ketchup or barbecue on top? Ooh, it's got to be ketchup. Okay. Okay. All right. That's, that's what I go to. Uh, I would say occasionally I do throw the, the, the barbecue in there as a change up, but, but traditionally I go, I go ketchup for sure. So Jake, you've been on the podcast before. Um, you live here in the Buckeye state. You're a mobile hunter. Uh, you do a lot of public land stuff. You spend a lot of time scouting. I tell people a lot of times like you're doing it at, at a, at a higher level than myself, but you're also putting in that, that, that extra effort. Like you, you, you know, we talked mileage, we talked hours and it, it's, it's, it's definitely, you're in that top tier to, to become kind of uh, I feel like that, those, those, those high level guys that we all look up to the Andy Mays, uh, the infaults, the Greg Litzingers, the DeQuistos. So, so you're somebody super passionate about deer hunting. And I think the audience knows that at this point. Man, that's, uh, that's, that's some great words. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh. Uh, I, I, have enjoyed the friendship, uh, and the camaraderie, um, the phone calls before hunts or getting home late. Uh, it's, it's helped my deer hunting. It's been cool to, to, to kind of embrace the suck with you in, in the rut. Uh, so yeah, man, let's, uh, let's get it, get it started before we get into some of the hunting talk. I wanted to ask, um, you changed and, and we're running all the doubles or the, the singles this year, the minis what was kind of your mobile setup and did you have any hacks or efficiencies that you found this year dialing in that setup? How many sticks were you taking? What does it look like? Uh, I was, I wanted to ask this. Well, for the most part, I hunt big woods now. So I like to get a little bit higher if necessary. So I was running doubles. I was running four of them. Um, and I would actually stack them on the back of the DS5 for probably 90% of my hunts. Every once in a while, I'd take just the saddle if I was, you know, doing something a little out of the box, but for the most part, and as season went on, I realized how effective that DS5 really is because like the day that I killed my deer, I could turn it around in the tree and sit down if I needed to, because I had a lot of cover in a tree and that was the tree to be in. If I would have just had my saddle set up, I couldn't set up there because of all the branches in the way. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was really effective for me and I really fine tuned it throughout the year. I think that from this point on, it's four doubles and a DS5 all the time. I do run a saddle in that just in case I do want to turn around. But when you want to turn around, it's awesome because you flip the seat up on the DS5 and flip the seat cushion down to the other side. And then you have a knee pad, which actually works better on small trees because the knee pad is straight as opposed to putting like one knee on a small tree. You still, you always have that same platform to rest your knees against regardless of tree size. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Um, I know you were running a kind of hybrid style, you know, whatever the situation was. I know, um, oh, Garrett Benner was running it that way. Uh, are you running cable aiders on all those or one long aider at the bottom? 
Yeah, you have four cable leaders, and they fold up awesome. I mean, they nest together really well. They sit on the stand in that groove perfect. And then I put my pack right over top of that and bungee the pack on. I'm good to go. Okay, nice, nice. Um, all right, man. Let's. Uh, I think that was good to kind of go over the hybrid style with a saddle type type setup. I think, uh, you know, it's funny. I've had a couple long walks in Kentucky, and I could see maybe – maybe getting a DS5 in my arsenal because I, I kind of am a stand guy at, at heart. Um, and I, I, I find myself I'm, – I'm still playing with, with three sticks and a step, and I'm still I, – I, I think that's kind of my final system as of right now for, for 2020 and uh, been liking that. But I could see where even if I shaved, you know, two and a half-ish pounds and then maybe cut my camera arm down to, to maybe one or two segments – I'd probably shave a little weight there and I could be just a touch lighter if I was going super far um, like I've been doing lately. Um, but let's get, let's get into some of this uh, bow hunting. So you are, you, you know, if I lay some, some, you know, groundwork you've killed uh, on our last podcast, we talked, you know, you've killed a lot of bucks the first week of October, which is traditionally opener opener in New York. But now uh, Ohio opens there like the last week in September and you burn a decent amount of vacation that time of year. Why don't you give us uh, kind of a 10-minute overview of maybe a couple encounters and how that first week went bow hunting in Ohio once the season came open? Yeah, I got you. So uh, I actually, early September, I went out to Montana for two weeks, and that threw a big wrench in my early season plans this year. I got back with not a whole lot of time to spare. I was in the process of buying a house. Um, and everything just kind of collided. So my, my few weeks leading up to season weren't as elaborate as I wish they would have been. And it kind of hurt me a little bit, to be honest. I felt behind a little bit. Um, so right off the bat, day one, I was in a really good location. And I figured I had a really good chance on a 170-plus inch typical 11 point, just an absolute giant deer. And uh, – knew where his bed was. I had him patterned really well on trail cameras to that point. The night before, he was there in shooting light. Oh, geez. So I went in with a perfect wind. I, uh, you know, it took me a couple hours to get in there probably. I set up, never saw a deer. The one thing that I underestimated this year as well was, I believe it might have been COVID-related. I'm not quite sure, but the amount of just recreation that I saw going on in the woods early season. I mean, I was hikers four-wheelers, bicyclers, you know, people walking their dogs, just about anything you can imagine. And that kind of played a little bit of a role as well. Yeah. I, uh, I ended up not seeing that deer until my fourth hunt. So it took me four hunts to get on him. I bounced around a couple times and I came back to that, that spot in the perfect wind again. I pushed in about 60 yards further, okay. which put me about 110 to 120 yards from that bed. And uh, I ended up you perfect weather day. I ended up having a doe come down and then an eight point come down. And as that eight point came down, I'm filming him and I hear just, you know, just a bunch of stuff break loose behind him. And I look up and that giant 170 inch deer has his antlers stuck in a, basically just a big bush. And he's just thrashing <laughs> that bush. And, uh, he ended up working straight towards me. And he was at about 60 yards and that doe got bumped across the creek and smelled me. And then it was, it was over from that point. The little buck busted me moving as I was trying to hurry up and get over there because I know the doe was going to blow. And that big buck ended up walking off. And Man, talk about watching your dreams get crushed. I watched 
the biggest frame buck I've seen in my life walk away for about a minute and a half. And oh, I couldn't man. do anything So you said you bounced around. Were you uh, still scouting and hunting this, this same area looking for this buck? Or did you kind of go elsewhere thinking he didn't show up on day one? You're going to try and go locate another, you know, I know you have a couple high caliber deer targeted at this point were you same area just trying to figure it out or, or talk to me a little bit about that that between hunt one and hunt four yep so it was it was strictly wind conditions if the wind would have been right the next night okay. i would have dove back in again okay. but the wind wasn't right so i ended up diving in on another buck that was roughly in the 60s and that one i actually had a four-wheeler come up the creek on public at about an hour before dark and that kind of ruined that hunt so I dealt with pressure quite a bit from, you know, different circumstances, but that brought me back to that point. And, uh, I ended up seeing that deer twice. I ended up seeing a deer a little bit bigger than him one time. And pretty much all my encounters were, were really close because I'm so close to the bedding. It was just, you know, just things that you really can't control. And it was, yeah. uh, it was a pretty crazy season for me, honestly. I mean, it was, I could tell early on that I was going to have quite a bit of grind going on. Um, ended up wrecking my Jeep as well. And then I had that whole factor in there where I had to buy a vehicle and everything else. And yeah, like two, two big, like life choices between house and, and, and vehicle issues. And I think that was like an insurance related thing too. So you had that pain in the ass of that. Yeah. I was trying to basically just trying to balance, like taking care of my adult responsibilities and getting out in the woods early season, because the first two weeks I can, you know, be so precise and it kind of hurt me a little bit, but, you know, I ended up getting into mid-October and hit a dry spell. Yeah, I'm well. going to pause you. I'm going to pause you before we get into kind of the, the, that later half of October. So you, I got you. One, one thing you said, um, your elk trip put you behind. And I wanted to ask, well, what what if, if that elk trip, um, would you have shifted that forward, back? Like, what kind of threw that off your whitetail game? Because you are a first-week killer, essentially – if you just look at your percentage of bucks on the wall. So if you ask me, I would say that if, if you want to target the highest caliber bucks in your area, you know, the top, wherever you're at in the country, so let's say the top 5% of bucks in Ohio, that happens to be anywhere from 160 plus. If you really want to target those and you want to be effective the first week of season, I think if you leave within a month of that date of, of your opener, you're crazy because you're putting yourself behind, you know, that last month leading up the season is my busiest time between glassing camera poles, scouting adjacent ridges, making sure that my bucks haven't moved on me. There's a lot of things that I'm doing to keep the ball rolling to lead up to that first day. And if any of that isn't there, you start to fall behind. And that's what I experienced this year. Okay. Okay. So I, I gotta ask, I know you had a, a, a pretty good elk, week i mean just from our that's talking are you still going to continue to hunt elk or is that maybe an every two two year thing uh, talk to me will you shift that trip or how will you juggle that going into the future because i gotta think a lot of our listeners a lot of people are wanting to do the west thing and still be a high caliber whitetail guy what would you maybe give me two cents on that i mean i'm so passionate about whitetails man i i could see myself elk hunting probably every three or four years Okay. And as far as, as far as early season, it's definitely going to be home state because I can, I can pounce on them like I, like I'd like to do. And then if I do kill here, if I'm fortunate enough to get the buck I'm after, then I can start traveling. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. 
Um, so let's shift into the October 15th through the 30th um, kind of time frame because I know you had some good hunts during this time. And I, I, why don't we, you walk me through uh, any good encounters? Uh, what did your setup shift at all? Are you still hunting beds? Um, do you shift to some scrape stuff? Because I know you take a lot of inventory and run some cameras on some scrapes. Talk to me about the 15th through the 30th and what you're looking like. So the 15th through, let's say about the 25th. Okay, good call. Was, was pretty dead in the woods for me for the most part. And what I ended up doing a lot was really scouting adjacent ridges to a couple of my target bucks. So, I mean, a couple of them, I didn't even take my bow with me. I would get up on top of, of a ridge system and I would run for, well, walk fast for, you know, four or five or six miles in that day and scout the certain areas, you know, an oak flat or scout a scrape line that I saw last year and things like that, making sure that they weren't opened up so I could target my bucks again. I basically treated it like it wasn't even season at that point. And I think that that is what helped me get not only myself on some good bucks right at the end of October, but a couple of my buddies as well. Um, so, so really that, that time frame for me was pretty dead, but right about the 25th, it started lighting up pretty good again. Okay. Uh, they had started getting scrapes good. I started getting good inventory on my scrape camps. I started finding just a lot more sign in general and had a little bit more daylight movement. So I didn't have to get quite as close to the beds in some of these areas that I was just holding off on for that perfect time. Um, you know, I was, it's kind of funny. I was just like a day late and a dollar short a few times. I was 20 minutes late to the stand one day. I got yeah. in the stand for an afternoon hunt at 1.25 p.m. And my target buck was there at like 12.56 p.m. So Was that during the rut, though, or was that uh, late October? That was the – I believe that was the 31st that day. No, that was the 30th that day. Okay. Yeah, I remember you You shared that information with me, and I, I'm, I mean, that's just crushing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple of them I had. I had another target buck show up and I wasn't there that day. Uh, my buddy killed him 31st. He came down from Michigan and shot a really nice eight pointer. And uh, that we went out and drug his deer out. He saw the buck that I was after that morning. We walked up to the community scrape that's on that bedding system. And I figured since he just killed 200 yards from there and we made all that noise that that deer wouldn't hit that scrape. So we walked up to a saddle and that buck came out and hit the scrape at like 5.30 PM, so. No way. It's funny, yeah. um, between your, uh, our talks and you're your like, you know, your trail cam data, your hunts, uh, my conversation with Chad, uh, Sylvester, and then obviously my own trail cam data is those, those interior scrapes that are, probably key hubs to the big woods based on 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 where they fall and, and the terrain and maybe uh where they sit in both like the thermal wind areas of 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 those systems that we talk about i think that's something i'm going to take a little more serious uh going forward and i think that was a big eye-opening uh i had some eye-opening trail cam card pulls you had some of those pulls that those bigger bucks in the area are occasionally making daylight appearances in October from uh, I had bucks hitting it October 6th uh, for, and then it was like the 11th, 12th, and then the 18th, it was just all sorts of October movement, which I really haven't ever keyed in on. And that's something I think I'm going to take away going forward. Would you say, I, I, did you, I don't know, did you have some of that similar thoughts or, or whatever? Cause you've shared some cam picks with me. Uh, I am sworn to secrecy. I never can send those anywhere else, but 
Uh, talk to me a little bit about some of that scrape information you pulled this year. Yeah, so basically I'm always keying in on some sort of community scrape. What I've noticed is if you want daylight activity, if you want to see those deer in daylight or get daylight pictures, the closest ones to that really good bedding, you know, adjacent to good bedding, where there's a couple different hubs that come together is where I've, I tend to find those. I had three in particular this year, and the last week of October, I could have killed six different bucks in the 160s or up on either of those three scrapes. I had six different occurrences from that, and I just couldn't put it together. I was at the wrong one that day or at the right one this day or 20 minutes late. Or Same it was just kind of all over the place, but... Same scrape or a few, a few different, different scrapes. Okay. They, I, yeah, I they wanted was, to make sure. A couple different areas. You know, they're 20 or 30 miles apart from each other, but those scrapes just light up, especially the last week of October. Those community scrapes where you have multiple big bucks, they're hitting those scrapes. If you have one, you need to hunt it. Yeah. Something else that I thought was interesting, and this came from a phone call that, that we had, and you had mentioned it in your, well, 11th through the 20th time frame, that you were scouting these opposite ridges or, or systems in and around where you believe these bucks were were holding up and you were scouting fast and you were like in a positive mindset because you weren't finding big buck sign and it was you know it was almost like a process of elimination and a little bit of a probably I got to think mental oh confidence if you will that okay there's no big buck sign on the surrounding systems I believe they're still working this this area that you have, have scouted off-season, know where the beds are, kind of had the ambush points mapped out. Uh, that was a really that, – that to me was something that, that's, that was high-level and, and, and uh, stuck with me. And, and I think our audience should, should – oh, we should at least mention that that was your thought is like, hey, I need to scout to make sure they didn't leave. Is that you know, yeah. kind of what you were doing? Yep, and the reason for that is I hunted that that main hub that I talk about a lot two or three times up to that point, and I've only saw my target buck once in that in that area up to that point. So what I wanted to do was take a step back and verify that he didn't bail out. I mean, he wasn't anywhere else. You know, go let's say a mile north and a mile south and all those ridge systems, and verify that I don't find signs. So yeah, it was kind of you know finding no buck sign is a good thing sometimes. And that's what I was trying to accomplish there. Now, Jake, can you put a number as far as, because like you did that podcast with Walter Lee and, you know, you were talking about finding all these bucks over one fifties. And I felt like, like me just knowing you on, on the level I do like, dude, Jake puts in a lot of drive time, a lot of boot time. Like, you know, to say he, he found all these, these high caliber bucks. Well, there's a lot of hours that go into it. How many miles would you say you kind of, or, or how many scouting days in that time frame would would you just rough ballpark? Because I'm trying to like you know paint a realistic picture for the audience so they know. Okay, Jake from the 10th to the 20th walked this many miles, scouted this many times instead of bow hunting because that was something I was trying to focus in on myself was was scouting more than hunting uh, in that time frame. And those and those, let's say the week and a half or two weeks scouting wise, I probably put on. 40 miles boots on the ground okay. probably rated at 40 mile mark now how many i guess how many scouts is that roughly so it was five half miles. of those days so i worked half those days and i was out in the woods every single day that i had off so okay. you know i'd work monday tuesday i'd have wednesday thursday off work friday saturday i'd hunt and scout monday tuesday wednesday again so okay well that that kind of paints paints the picture 
Um, not to mention the drive time behind the, the wheel there. Um, but that's, that's cool. Now, um, I think let's go ahead and you said shifting into, let's call it the, the, the later October, the 24th, 25th ish. Um, oh, I wanted, I wanted to ask here because you are a early season bow hunter. Uh, anyone who kind of does any sort of little bit of influencing, there's a little pressure starting to build. I feel like, you know, I, I myself feel this, the, the, like, dude, I want to get the job done. Like I want to get one buck under my belt. Um, you know, and, and I got to believe, and I think we talked about it, like, dude, like, you know, I need to, you you mentally said, I got to stay the course. It'll happen when it's supposed to happen. But like mentally, I got to believe you're like, oh man, we're getting to late October. The rut's about to bust loose. Did you feel some sort of oh, pressure and urgency to get the job done there in late October? Yeah, 100%. And that's what, you know, that's one of the mentalities I had this year that really, that I, I was kind of proud of, I guess, was the fact that I didn't let it take too much account into my actual hunting and scouting. Like I went out for, you know, a week without a bow, even though in the back of my mind, I'm kind of feeling this pressure. And, you know, there's a lot of things there. You are an influencer first off, but beyond that, personally, my target buck is going to start running these ridges pretty soon. And then there's no telling where he's going to end up. So it was really just a matter of kind of trying to put everything together and stay positive. And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever had a bad day hunting. I think that that's kind of what separates some people too is, you know, you and I talk about it a lot. We just have so much passion to get out there. That's it's what we love doing. And honestly, the harder I have to grind and work, the more I kind of like it, especially when it finally pays off. So it's just the mentality more than anything. And as long as you can keep pushing, I think you can keep putting yourself in good position. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, you know, it's funny. I have a note here. We'll get to that in November. I, this stuff about grinding and, and the ability to hunt hard. But um, let's talk about that late October time period into November 1st, 2nd, 3rd ish. What um, did you start hunting mornings? Because you're not a morning guy. What what was your thought process going into that part? And, and talk to me too. I want to hear about some encounters. I want to hear what your strategy was going through uh, October 24th through November 1st, 2nd ish. Yep. So I, I did start to hunt mornings right about that time. And that's pretty consistent with the other couple of years that I didn't fill a tag right away, um, you know, throughout my life. And what I would normally tend to do is I'll get in the stand in a certain area pretty early okay. and almost treat it as more of like an observation sit where I'm still in the game. You know, I don't want to get too close to betting at that point because I still in my mind, I can make that move that night and kill. So I'm really just trying to put eyes on a good deer. And if I didn't see anything by, you know, let's say 10 o'clock, I would get down and scout for the next three, four or five hours for a night setup, just for my PM setup. Sometimes that would be the same thing without my bow in a totally different area to verify that that buck didn't vacate and I could target that bed that night. Yeah. Um, I did find, I found the creek bottom that my buddy ended up killing in by doing that. I had a camera there, but I didn't realize how tore up that was inside. I got down out of the stand, drove 30 miles, ran up to check a camera, and on the way in, this creek bottom was just hammered with sign. And that's what led to a lot of success throughout the year for us as well. So okay, I think that, you know, that, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. And, and something you do, um, it seems like well or, or a good tactic is like, so you, you make the drive to these locations and they can be anywhere. Oh, let's, let's make it a, a broad number, hour to two hours from the house, maybe even sometimes a little further you know, you're there for the day, 
might as well be productive as you can, you know, mid-ish day, you know, pulling cards, maybe checking another card in another area to make sure a, a shooter isn't, you know, presenting himself or scouting other systems that you know of uh, to, to look for the best buck sign. Um, w- when you'd set up in the morning uh, during that, that late, late time period, ever throwing sits right on scrapes or were you always kind of more, well, you, you know, you talk about these scrapes being in relation to betting. Um, would you ever sit them? Did you ever have any good encounters first thing in the morning, um, you know, going in or laying eyes on anything? I didn't really have any good encounters. I saw some little bucks, um, you know, little is still like 115, 120 inch deer probably, but I saw some, some pretty decent bucks actually that were just, just not quite what I was looking for that time of year. And, uh, I would, yeah, for the most part, I mean, it was like, I would, I would just target bedding and food sources for the most part. And I would try to get in between those. So like if I knew of a private cornfield that was still standing, I would hunt the bedding system on the public behind that, like a half mile in. And I would basically make a big loop in that morning, come up over the ridge on the leeward side and just try to get some sort of movement where I could see quite a good ways and just see if I could see any deer filtering back into those bedding areas and those clear cuts and things like that. Yeah. So let me ask this. Um, Something you you had texted me is you started to notice some of your bucks on, on trail cam had picked up that deer hunting pressure had increased. Would you say at this point in time, Oh, you felt like, uh, oh, the COVID pressure, did you start to see out-of-state pressure at all during, during this time, or is that more of a, a November, November issue with, with the out-of-state pressure? No, it was actually the last week of October was the most pressure I've ever seen in Ohio. I mean, I saw New York, Maryland, Maine, Vermont, uh, Kentucky. I saw plates from just about everywhere, guys that were in there. I ran into a couple guys on top of saddles, just basically trying to get to my spots. Um, yeah, there was, there was quite a bit of pressure at that point. It really did affect the deer more than I expected it to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's crazy. And, and, and we kind of started seeing a lot more pressure, more of the November time period, but also like, um, oh, Andy Dave started to hunt a lot more then. So, so we were kind of more dialed in there. Uh, as far as what was going on, but they saw, yeah, decent amount of pressure. So let's roll into November. And what, you know, what was your approach at this point that you're now in the rut is your game is obviously morning and evenings. And it's, 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 you know, you, the breeding season hunting is always a little different than, than, than traditional October bow hunts. Talk to me about what your setups, uh, what were you targeting? What were your hopes? And, in, and then we can get into some good encounters. Yep. So my, uh, for the most part, my setups at this point were just major terrain features. And that's something that I kind of eventually got out of a little bit as season progressed. But up to that point, in my mind, I was like, I'm just going to sit these big terrain features, you know, either a hog's back or really big saddle that's adjacent to some really good bedding and try to catch a good buck in locations that I know that there's quite a few mature deer in the area. Um, I would go in early, you know, my, my drives were anywhere from an hour to an hour and 45 minutes from the house. I'd get up in the stand way early and sit all day. And really I didn't have too many good encounters. I had one really good encounter with an absolute giant. Um, he was coming out of a bedding area with her and he was like buck roaring. I've never heard it before. It sounded like a 
grizzly bear fight almost. <laughs> and uh, I would say that he was definitely probably in the 180s. He's one of the bigger deer I've seen in the woods. Jesus. And he was, they were actually coming right into me, right down the logging road, perfect. That doe was coming right at me. And I know how crazy this is going to sound. I don't know if I told you this or not, but there was a possum in the logging road. And no. this doe, yeah, this, so they're at about 60 yards. And he's grunting like crazy, chasing her back and forth. And the doe starts working right at me on the logging road. I'm in the saddle. I turn around. I get the camera pointed. And this doe comes up to a possum, of all things. And they have, like, this little standoff. And then the doe jumps down into the creek bottom, which is really steep, and up the other ridge, and the buck follows her up. I couldn't oh. believe it. I could not believe that. <laughs> I've been sabotaged by some squirrels before, but never, never a possum. That's terrible. That's yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I can't even. Oh my gosh! You'd think about shooting that possum after all that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, was, I really looked at him a couple of times. Yeah, like I'm a, I'm gonna get my fur fur takers permit. I'm gonna be back in here and get you. But that's how that's crazy. No, I hadn't heard that story actually. That is wild. So, um, that's a pretty good encounter. Uh, mention the the day late on the uh, the one big buck uh, around November third, where you were were going in for an evening or had been scouting and then decided to go to this location. How did that play out? Where you had a picture of a of a good one on a scrape and just twenty minutes late. Yeah, that was so. That whole day was a little bit crazy for me. It's you know personal life kind of battling with hunting season thing going on. I went to the post office to change my address because I just bought my house and I've been putting that off, but I needed to get mail. And I went down there and I needed two forms of ID, not one. So I had to run back to the house, uh, grab another form of ID. I went back, got all that taken care of, drove down there and I was 20 minutes late. And I had a 160 inch 12 point on that scrape at like 12:56 in the afternoon. Uh, now, you know, there's a good chance that if I would have went in there I could have bumped him, stuff like that. I'm not saying it was an absolute kill, but he was on that scrape. Sure. Or, or what if you had done the house stuff on a different day and, and you were doing an all-day sit then? Exactly. Yeah, there was a ton of things that could have happened. And then the next morning, I uh, got in that exact same location before, before daybreak and was set up. I heard footsteps coming, and I had that buck come in to 30 yards, and it was just too dark. I mean, it was – it was right at legal, but it was too dark. And he went down, hit a scrape, and then came back at 55 and just teased me at 55 yards. I got him on video and everything. It's cool video. But uh, I actually watched him bed down, and he laid in his bed for 12 hours and had me locked up in a stand for 12 hours. Yeah, we talked, at, I think, after this day or, or in and around it, and you said it was the most miserable hunt because you were, one, on edge, two, you were semi-hiding and slow movements because – you know, at any moment that deer could come up and hit that scrape midday and, and bounce back to his bed. Yeah, exactly. I was ready to go the whole time. And uh, I really, I mean, I didn't even want to eat my food. He was up in the clear cut, just staring down these open hardwoods at me. And yeah. I thought at any time, because the day before he hit that scrape at 1 PM, I was like, he's going to come off this thing and I'm going to shoot him at 15 yards. Yeah. So or I was just, if he yeah, doesn't so go at midday in the evening. Exactly. So I had, and the day before that, he, he hit that scrape at 6 p.m. So there was two days in a row he hit that scrape in daylight. So, I mean, I had 12 hours of my heart just beating out of my chest over this deer. I got down out of the stand. I never went out again for that. <laughs> oh, my golly. 
That's unbelievable, man. What a, a crazy day. Let me ask you this. So, you know, you tend to go hunt these, these locations on these bucks. They're, they're generally not easy locations and, and, and they're, they're, they're deep or they take access routes that, that add miles to, to looping and, and doing things the right way. Did you, you know, I find it, I can hunt hard, really good one day, no, no problems, no issues. Did you find during the rut that you are hunting these further locations, hiking miles, any sort of tips or tricks or to get through that grind? And I got to believe it was, uh, it was something that, that took, took a toll for sure. It was. And I mean, as far as tips go, I would say eating healthy is really important. You know, when you get home, make sure you get a good meal in, drink a ton of water, try to stay hydrated. Uh, take good food out there with you as much as you can and really the biggest thing is just like that's the mental mindset for me physically the you know three or four mile hikes total aren't terrible you know in a day but the the mental side of it's a little bit different and that's where you really have to just push yourself and you you have to find some sort of positivity in it you know every hunt there's got to be something positive that comes out of it even if it's watching the sunset or something simple yeah that's you know, that takes, that takes oh, a special breed of person. I, I know a lot of people oh, can, can, you know what I'm saying? They can, they can sit there and watch a film on a Sunday afternoon and be like, oh, I can hunt hard. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. But until you go do it and you do it day in and day out, it's, it's, it's a different type of grind. And, and I think guys that, that, that maybe even don't hunt public, they, they, you know, don't get me wrong, they're talented individuals, but that is a whole side of the game uh, to, to hunt hard, to hunt these, these further back locations, to hang stands every day. It's, it's not talked about enough, and until you would do it for four or five days in a row that, that they don't understand, I feel like there's a gap there. You're right, and, and, you know, I've talked about resiliency quite a bit as well, and that's, that's really important to me because there's a couple of these setups that I had where I would have – Say that the location I want to hunt is a half mile from the road, but I make a two and a half mile loop because of the wind and the food source, and I want to make sure that I'm as far away from these deer as possible. I get in there in the bottom of a creek and basically climb a military crest, just grabbing on every limb I can for three or four hundred vertical feet to get up in the spot, get set up at 4 a.m., and then you see a headlamp 200 yards off on the saddle that you just came through. Right. So, you know, and that mental grind, like the, the ability to see that and say, okay, you know, I'm going to sit here until nine. I'm going to get down and get out of here because there's a guy here. That side of it is totally different as well. It's just you have to be able to bounce back. You just, at any of those points, I could have been like, ah, I'm done. My season's over. Like, this sucks. I keep seeing people. You know, I'm 20 yards off my deer every time. They come in too early, but you got to just bounce back and keep going. And eventually, you just have to believe that it's going to pay off. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that the ability to bounce back because shit's going to go wrong. You, you're going to have a stand hang where you make a couple extra noise or you get there late um, just due to, to some unknown factors of you had a flat tire or uh, you know, the, the, uh, I don't know, the alarm didn't go off. You're going to have bad hunts or, or things go wrong. Um, and I got to think it's just the ability to, to bounce back or adapt or change and, and keep going because, you know, I feel like November, I've actually killed a couple bucks on like the last day of vacation, you know, and it would have been very easy to shortchange those hunts. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's huge, man. Um, 
but any other crazy encounters before we get into the the true buck hill that's pretty much it to be honest i mean i was i was pretty much on deer throughout the season big bucks i was just a little bit off and it was i just you know that was pretty much my story all all year okay did you have any bucks um even say in the 130 range that you would maybe see and pick up the bow or did you see a lot of that what i'll call maybe my shooter class but not quite your shooter class did you did you have any of those encounters or a number of those encounters i did yeah anywhere from 115 i actually the day it was october 3rd or 4th it was my fourth set of the year the day that i saw that giant bucket 60 yards and the doe blew me out um 20 minutes later after that buck walked off i had 155 inch probably 150 155 inch buck walk right underneath my tree stand and i just at that time wasn't interested i just saw you know, the biggest frame deer of my life at 60 yards so looking back on that that would have been a pretty good kill and i, I had some good footage of it and everything but uh is that the biggest but, buck you've ever passed inside of a bow killable opportunity Oh, yeah. And I have one of his sheds. His shed, if the other side matched and he had an 18 inch spread, he would have been 146 last year. So I'm assuming he was like low 50s, probably. He didn't put on a ton of, a ton of size. Sure. But he's a, he's a very good buck. Next year, he's definitely going to be a target yeah. if he makes it through the season. Um, but yeah, I, I passed up, you know, quite a few 120 inch deer early on. And I was, I was close. I was getting on bucks. And I think I talked to you about it a little bit too. I was like, some of these locations that I have have three or four good beds. And if I choose wrong, the wrong buck comes down. Okay. And, and that happened to me more than once where I would choose wrong and like a hundred inch deer would come down off that bed. And then I'd hear footsteps a hundred yards away. And I know that's my big one. And it was just, it was really interesting to me. And I want to get a lot better in some of these spots at really fine tuning specific beds. I've got all those notes taken down too of like, the night that I had the wrong buck come down and I had the right one come down one ridge over or I saw a glimpse of one or anything like that, I take notes on it and then I'm going to go back after season, look at weather conditions and everything else for the day and see if I can figure out why that bigger buck was on that ridge instead of the ridge that I targeted. Like, what did I have wrong? You know yeah. what I mean? Well, and, and, and I'll be interested, maybe, maybe you think you set up on the better bed and maybe it was just like a, a Buck's attitude thing. Like he liked bed A over bed B that day because that that's just his his personal preference. Just like like people, you know, people like certain, you know, things differently than other. I, I could see a Buck, you know, if both beds you feel are equal, it just it depends on the, the individual deer. I, you know, I don't, I don't think you can beat yourself too far, uh, you know, beat yourself up too much with, with, you know, setting up on a bed and a hundred incher comes by you, you know, when, you know, most public land guys would be thrilled to death with that deer. Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, it was, that's, that's exactly it, too, and you know, it could be a lot of things. It could be an oak tree. It could be the way that the wind swirls through that valley a little different than I anticipated because I didn't wind scout it enough, but me being me, the wheels are always turning. I want to try to put these pieces together so for, you know, years from now, I can put everything together early season and get right back on them. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely think you, you do that, um, and, and I think that's a, I mean, that's just a higher level thought, like, hey, let me let me look at what was the difference that individual day. So, so when, when those conditions roll up, Hey, I noticed on, on uh, this Northwest wind, this bed is tends to be a little better. Um, that's, 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 that's brilliant. I, I really like that thought. Let's uh, let's get to the day of the kill. Let, why don't you walk me through the morning setup, the, the midday scout and the Jake Bush special. I'm going to hunt beds in the evening. All right. Perfect. So, 
I woke up early and at that point I still had the mentality where I was sitting terrain features. But the previous week worth of hunting that I had, I really hadn't been having a ton of success hunting those terrain features. What day you know, is I it? Saw, what, what day is it? We got to, we got to set the time frame because it, you know, you're getting into the middle to later half of November now. Ooh, what day was it? Was it the 15th? I don't believe it was the 15th. 15th or 16th, I believe. I'm, you laugh. I'm going through my call log. You said you said the what day? Was it the fifteenth or the sixteenth? So it was I last have a, Monday. I have a call. Shit, I call you too much. Um, yeah, it, I, it, I, the sixteenth, I think. All right, perfect. So the sixteenth. So. I woke up early and at that point was still sitting terrain features, even though I wasn't seeing a lot and I wasn't getting discouraged about hunting, but in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, I, I'm not the kind of guy that likes sitting around waiting all day and I still want to be in the woods, but I kind of want to do it my own way. So I drove down to a certain location. I hiked, it was like a mile and a half up some pretty steep terrain. I, I got to this damn location I wanted to sit. It was pretty much shot. I mean, I was sitting uh, hogs back on the big side of a saddle that was adjacent adjacent to two really good clear cuts that I know have a lot of does in them and some good bucks in the area. So everything seemed right. I uh, ended up getting set up and never saw a deer. Never really had any activity at all until about 10 o'clock. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to get down and I'm going to just go put boots on the ground again. I'm going to scout the way I've been scouting. And as I was doing that, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? A lot of these bucks at some point throughout the rut, they go home. They're going to go home. I was like, I don't, I'm going to scout this area, this whole hub and see if there's any sign that's fresh. And if not, I'm bailing out. So I went down, I pulled two cameras. I had some bucks on it, but it was nighttime activity, which makes me think they weren't bedding in that location. They were just running through it to make sure there wasn't any does. So Without having any big bucks that I want to target in that bed, I said, I'm, I'm out of here. So I hiked all the way back. It was like a mile and a half, two miles back to the truck and drove about 20 minutes, 25 minutes and got in another hub and did the exact same thing. Didn't find any sign. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to bounce out of this one and do the same thing one more time. I got one more spot I want to get to. I got into that hub and I mean, I parked the truck, closed the door, walked three steps and there was a hammered scrape. Probably maybe 10 feet off the road. I'm talking a hood size scrape. Yep. And I ended up getting across the creek, got in the creek bottom, crossed it, and another hammered scrape on the side of this hill. I was like, man, they're in here right now. I mean, that was one of the freshest scrapes I've seen. And so at that point, I was like, you know what? I've scouted this whole area this summer, this spring, summer, and everything. And I know where all these beds are yet in here, but with the foliage down, from my winter scouting in that same spot, I know that there's only like one or two bedding areas that are way tucked up in the back of this ravine that they use when, when all the leaves come down because of cover. Okay. And uh, it's, it's basically like a big oak flat that's on right above a hog's back in between two saddles. And it's about two thirds of the way up the hill. And it's only about probably a hundred yards wide, full of briars and a couple fallen trees. So it's really thick right there. Okay. And every winter, I mean, they just tear it up. So I started working that way and it was roughly about a mile and a quarter walk to get to there. And I'm talking like every hundred yards, fresh scrape, fresh scrape, bleeding rub, fresh scrape. And I'm at this point, I'm thinking, man, I'm in this deer big time. 
Yeah. I got the perfect wind. I've got a west wind at probably seven to ten mile an hour. Did you just blow my scent right back out of that creek bottom? Did and you, uh did you I'm, think I'm, at this point it was a big buck or were you kind of like, dude, like I might get in here and have a 130 come by me? I thought it was my giant buck. In okay. in my mind, there was there was nothing in my mind that didn't make me think that I was like when I saw the scrape, I was like, I'm gonna go kill this deer. Okay. And I actually took a video after seeing about 10 or 15 of those scrapes. I got to the hub that I wanted to check and the hub was just hammered with sign. And I knew that that bedding area was there. I took a video and was like, I'm killing this deer. Tonight. Like I, in my mind, I was just like, I'm back in, you know, my style, what I want to do. I'm going to go get on a bed. Yeah. This buck's in here and I'm going to kill him. You know, that's maybe a 3% yeah. positive like, actual rate of success. So, but um, in my mind, that's exactly what was going on. So I get to, this really steep part of that whole like ravine system slash flat. And I had to crawl on my hands and knees for like 150 yards with my stand on my back, you know, and it's, the leaves are dry. So every time a squirrel would chatter or the wind would blow, I'd take another, basically just move my hand forward and then move my knee forward. And I got up to the top of this, basically where the flat was, and I could see about 80 yards, but I couldn't see the back side of it where the best beds are because there's a fallen oak tree. And I peeked my head up and I glassed and I didn't see anything. And I glassed for like probably 20 minutes, okay. making sure that I didn't see antlers turn or anything like that. Never saw anything. And I made sure when I crawled up the hill that I had a good tree right beside me that might work for a setup where I could basically shoot that whole pinch. And uh, every time the wind would blow, I would take a stick and hang a stick. And then it'd blow again, hang the next one, blow again, I'd hang my stand. I finally got four sticks high, but it was only like probably 12 feet off the ground. I didn't use my eighters because it was too noisy. And I was just trying to get like basically tucked in this tree because it had so much cover. It still had leaves on it. Yeah. And if I got too high, I was, I was out in the open again. Okay. So this is where having the DS5 was really nice too, because instead of saddle hunting that day and being on the backside of the tree and not having a shot, I just sat down on my stand, put my camera arm to my left and had it perfect sitting down shot at 18 yards if the deer came out okay so i get set up i get my camera set up and about five minutes later uh squirrel chatters and i looked up pulled my binocs up and i saw a rack turn right on, i mean right at that oak tree time out time out we gotta we gotta call a timeout. jake told me he did a interview for his film in this tree and i said jake you must be crazy i said I get too nervous when I'm out in the timber to talk to the camera unless I, I've shot something or I'm walking. I cannot believe you did this this pre-hunt like hunt interview talking point of your film in these quiet conditions. What were you thinking? I I really, I was so fired up, man. I can't. I had to bust I, I don't think that many people really understand. Like, you know, everybody has their own way of hunting and stuff, but hunting beds to me just ignites something in me. I get so fired up for it and I just want to dive in and, and just go after them. And that's the first time I'd done that in like, you know, a solid two to three weeks, that style of hunting and I was fired up. So it's like, I'm doing an interview. In my interview, I was like, this deer's up here. Yeah. He should come right to 18 yards right before dark and pretty much the whole thing. But yeah, I know it wasn't, it wasn't the best idea. In the world, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I just had to bust your chops. When you told me that detail of the story and you know, you, you meticulously hung the stand and it's not a super, uh, Oh, it's a super quiet type day in the timber. I'm just like, dude, like you as a bed hunter, man, like, I just feel like 
I'll, I'll voice over my thoughts or something like that at this point, or I'll do my any sort of speaking part in the truck in the parking lot or whatever. I just had to bust your chops. So talk to me about this squirrel chattering because that, that was kind of a cool part of this whole story. And, and then I'll let you roll through it. Yeah. I mean, most hunters have probably heard it before. It, you know, you hear like the Jays sound off or a squirrel chatter and then you look and you see a deer. And I mean, I, I probably sit in the woods, you know, a thousand hours and that happens like three or four times. But every time I hear it, my attention goes that way for at least a split second. So heard the squirrel chatter just like normal. And it was like right at that oak tree. And I remember thinking, like, man, that is, that's right at that oak tree. And then I heard the squirrel actually like jump, 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 climb a tree and chatter again. I was like, there is something moving up there. And he must've rolled over in his bed and scared that squirrel. And I pulled my binocs up and I saw the rack turn. I was like, all right, there is a good buck here. Yeah. And uh, from that point on, I mean, he, I was, I was set up. I, I set up most of my shots a lot like Cody. I like shooting, sitting down. I don't want to have to stand up. And A, you know, you can kind of tuck in like a little bit of cover better and stuff, but it just, my shots are a lot more stable like that. I mean, Okay. It, it seems to help me quite a bit. You know, you lean your back up against the tree and you're just rock solid. So he started coming down the oak flat, just about perfect. And the only issue that I had at that point that made me a little nervous is my wind was, I had a west wind, but I, me and you talked about it a little bit. These west winds and these really steep cuts, I think they make like a vacuum effect if they're, yeah. if they're, uh, if it's strong enough. That's all right. We, this is real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogs are barking. But they make like a vacuum effect basically. And uh, so it was like blow my wind good and then I would kind of suck back for, you know, five or 10 seconds and then it would start blowing the right way again. And I was dealing with that and he started coming down the flat. He stopped and he started eating and my wind blew towards him. And I'm throwing milkweed that's blowing right at him at this point. Uh, and he looks up and I thought, well, he got me. And then I felt, I actually watched the milkweed pull right back at me and he flicked his tail and kept coming he did that like two or three times where he almost seemed like he smelled something and then my wind would pull back huh. so i don't know if he just accepted it or if he was rut crazed and he really wasn't thinking the right way or what but that's something that's you know i'm gonna have to pay attention to in that spot again quite a bit or any of those steep drainages pretty much yeah but yeah he came down and i mean that ended up being just about perfect i had a big tree where it's like all right you're gonna walk behind this tree i'm gonna draw back get my camera turned where i need to have it zoom all the way out in autofocus this time not manual yeah. wink wink and uh and shoot him at 18 yards and it just worked out perfect i mean heart shot him at 18 on film it was, it was awesome yeah now but we'll tell him you know he you told me he runs uphill and then, like, crashes back down because of the terrain. You got to see him die from the stand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. He, uh, he ran up the hill. And, I mean, this drainage is steep. You can barely walk up it. It takes everything you have to actually scale this thing. He ran up about, well, probably 10 bounds, stood, looked back, and, I mean, I could just see blood pouring out right at his heart. And then he tipped over backwards and fell you know, 25 yards right back down this steep hill right to my stand pretty much. And that is the best feeling in bow hunting. Oh, it's just, there's nothing like it. That's, that is awesome. That is so cool. And then uh, you, you, you guys did the pack out. Um, I, I had to be a dad that night. Brooke was working. Um, otherwise, I probably could have come just to, to help photo video and, and then pack out. You said that's the method. You said if 400 yards or greater, you're, you're just going to pack out. 
Oh, it was awesome. I mean, it just, it took so much off of it. You know, if you're, if even maybe 250 yards, because dragging a deer in that terrain is taxing. If you have to go up one hill or across the creek or some fallen logs or two yeah. briars, it's just a nightmare. And then you I mean, pack it out, throw it in your pack, throw whatever you want right on the DS5 because it's got that shelf on it. And I, mean, I was out of there one trip. It was awesome. Oh, you did, you did one trip. Yeah. I mean, I had my buddy with me with another pack, but yeah, two guys, one trip. Yeah, I I had planned, and if I would kill solo in Kentucky, probably like inchworm system, like I'll have my Kuyu bag with some some, uh, meat on it, take it 100, 200 yards, come back with my my 1.0, pack that, you know, that way I've got some built-in brakes too, just walking without weight, you know, but I I think I I would inchworm out and, and basically cut the weight in half. But yeah, I we did that with my buck, and and yeah, that's much easier on the body. It's 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 the route, like you said. I'll, I'll use definitely going forward. A little bit of learning curve as far as you know breaking it down, and I didn't do the best job skinning, but but yeah, it's a uh, it's definitely going to be my route uh, going forward. So Jake, we still have some bow hunting left, maybe some late muzzleloader. What is what is the the oh from now until end of season where, where do you you know are you going to hunt some more are you going to i saw you scouting already and pulling cams before the orange army what's what's your december january looking like yeah so for ohio there's a lot of scouting going on right now again i'm, I'm actually shifting a lot of cameras to locations that i don't think will get hit too hard during gun okay and uh i'm out looking at fresh sign because right now there's a ton of sign that's fresh you know you can find quite a few scrapes bump some deer anything like that yeah. I've been working on editing a couple of these films quite a bit and uh I've got Kentucky in the back of my head in about a week. I'm gonna dive yeah. into Kentucky. We yeah, talked about that quite a bit. Yeah, we we uh we may be dive bombing an area, but but that is that is an undisclosed location. We shall not yeah. but but yeah, it might be cool to to tackle a piece together and, and learn some stuff and, and that way we can uh, uh we can be very effective maybe next year or even get lucky the second half of, of this season down there. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm kind of fired up to like dive in an area and just boots on the ground, stand on your back, go find a buck and set up on it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and we've got some details and, and yeah, so that would be awesome to, to, to maybe get on a second buck um, and, and still be bow hunting and learning uh, a new area. But yeah, Jake, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you said you, you do, you, the, the your guys' YouTube channel, you, you think uh, a video is coming out very soon on, on one of your buddies, Ohio Public Land Bucks. Uh, give me some details on that. Yep. Yeah. So Drew's from Michigan. He uh, came down here and killed his first public land deer. Just the same thing we do, hanging hunt. And it was awesome. It was a cool hunt. He got it all on film. So we'll have his film and then my film will be coming up shortly after that. It'll be in the next, it should be the next couple of days. And uh, that's going to be on Legends of the Hunt. You can also see some sort of link to that on Jake Bush Solo on Instagram. Yeah, so be sure to check that out. Um, I'm pushing Jake to, to put out some more stuff on his YouTube channel because he's got some good stuff to, to know. But Jake, man, I appreciate it. And, and, and I'm going to have to wrap this up, even though, dude, I would love to talk to you for like another hour or two. Um, you know, we've got, we've got future plans. Hopefully we can share a camp and, and tackle some scouting this, this winter together. Yes, sir. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it, man. Thanks. For All right, me. man. Guys, thanks for listening. Um, this, you know, was a, an awesome episode. Jake's a friend of mine at this point. I'm very glad to, to spend an hour with him here tonight talking. Uh, definitely give him a follow. Uh, you know, that's all I got for, for this week. Andy and Dave are on the grind here in Ohio. 
Team Hard-Earned Bucks, we're out.